Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, a podcast that aims to inspire, engage and connect social workers with other social workers and allied health professionals doing interesting and amazing things across the world. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Welcome to episode 53 of the Inside Social Work podcast. I can't believe there's been 53 episodes. I'm super excited and nearly at 50,000 downloads, which is just incredible. I am so grateful for all those out there listening and engaging with me through emails and through social media. In today's episode, I chat with Kobe Liu, who's an accredited mental health social worker, works in private practice and has a lot of experience working with sexuality diverse and gender diverse individuals, as well as children through things like Lego therapy. So some really cool things that he's doing. In this conversation, Kobe and I talk about intersectionality, culture, sexuality, and how we can show up in the space as clinicians. Uh, We talk a little bit about vulnerability and some of the things that happen day to day in a private practice setting. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kobe. And if you're interested to find out a bit more about him and his service, you can check out the show notes. For those of you who've been following me on the socials, you'll also know that um, one of the things I focus a lot on is working with young people and adolescents, and I run a number of trainings, both online and face-to-face in Melbourne. So check out the show notes. I'll put a link to some of those in there. I'm running a mental health first aid coming up online in August and one face-to-face in September. And I'm in the middle of a tuning into teens program at the moment, which is going really well. And the feedback has been really positive for both the face-to-face and online delivery. So if you've got some parents or if you're a parent yourself and you think that would be really helpful to learn a little bit more about emotion coaching, check out the tuning into teens program that I'm running. Or if you're interested in learning a bit more about mental health, so anxiety, depression, how to respond to things like suicidality, non-suicidal self-injury, then the youth mental health first aid one might just be the thing for you. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode and conversation with Kobe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inside Social Podcast. Today I have a very special guest, uh, another local from from Footscray even, uh, close to where I work, uh, Kobe. How are you going, Kobe? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Could you um, share a little bit about yourself with the listeners? What's your kind of social work journey and in a bit of your personal journey, if you don't mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm really, well, it's it's a bit of a special time that, because before, before, before I got into social work, I actually studied counselling and psychology. And then um, I didn't know that social work exists, to be honest. Like, you know, because it's not something that we have in um in borneo or, or generally in asia <laughs> and then um when i got into social work then that's when i started realizing that gosh this is such a good area of practice that you know it's so diverse and it allows such a broad horizon and so i was really intrigued and interested with it and that's why i got myself into it and then i as the more i know about social work the more i love it and then um, I was able to combine, um, you know, both psychology and, and social work together. And then now I'm doing what I'm doing as a psychotherapist and also accredited mental health social worker. 
and I own my own um, clinic in West Melbourne. Um, so that's, um, that's what I'm doing now. That's awesome. It's so exciting. Um, you've also been quite involved with um, kind of local, is it local communities in terms of queer and culturally diverse young people? Like what's the sort of the areas that you tend to work with a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, I work a lot with the LGBTIQA community. Um, that's one of my specialisations, um, supporting, uh, you know, people who identify themselves um, as LGBTIQA. And then also um, specialising in working with um, loss and grief, so people who go through loss and grief uh, and trauma and abuse. So these are generally the three areas that I uh, work, um, that I have a lot of, a lot of passions in. Um, I have a lot of other passions in other areas as well, um, but these are the top three that I would say, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. What do, um, so for listeners out there who are thinking of maybe going down a, a road of being a, a, a therapist or even just working with different population groups, what are some of the things that you've learned in your, your experience with clients around how they can, how other therapists and other social workers can work better with um, those different communities? So whether it's around loss and grief, trauma and abuse, um, LGBTQI, what are some of the, yeah, the thoughts you have on that? I think it has, I think the first thing is it has a lot to do with our own experience. Like, you know, first thing is our own lived experience. That's one thing. Um, and how, when you walk through that journey yourself, then you, you can connect and, you know, resonate with those stories even more at a deeper level. Uh, and then the second thing is just try it. Like, you know, it's, it's a bit of a trial and error. Like, you know, just if you're interested to work with certain groups of um, people in the community, then you, you research it and then you try it and then you work with them and see how you feel about it. So um, like myself, like, you know, before this, um, I, I, I know that, you know, the people with like narcissistic personality and borderline personality, like, you know, those personality types. Um, but in the past, um, when I first started, I haven't, I didn't really have um, a lot of opportunities working with clients with those issues. But then I sort of like, oh, that is an interesting area that I want to work in as well. So I started researching about more about personality disorders, like, you know, and that kind of things. And then I got to know a lot more about it and I read a lot of articles and then I started supporting clients with, you know, those issues. And then you get more and more familiar and more and more skilled in that area. And then that's where you, you find another one of your strengths, I suppose. <laughs> like, you know, mm. yeah, it, sometimes it's just try and error. Yeah. I really want to pick your brain around working across different cultures because it's often seen as its own niche. And I, I wonder if sometimes people overlook that you'll have, I mean, culture spans across all areas. So you need to be culturally competent in drug and alcohol work. You need to be culturally competent in loss and grief. Like there'll be like culturally and linguistically diverse communities have all of those other presenting issues that we see. Mm -hmm. And so you'll have someone who has, who identifies um, 
as gender fluid or gender diverse and be culturally and linguistically diverse. You'll have someone who identify like I think sometimes we forget that that's that's a broad presentation and then they experience all the other things as well. And then we also have to keep in mind systemic injustices, racism, microaggressions, and that person's lived experience of being um, either a person of colour or even from a culture who, you know, just integrating and kind of adapting to Australian culture is very different. Exactly. I totally agree with that. Um, Because in the past few years as well, I work a lot with international students. So obviously, like, you know, they come from different parts of the world and, you know, people of colour. So it's it, like what, like you said, like, you know, when that intercultural aspects comes into play and then on top of that you have, um, you have these different expectations, different way of living, different values and belief and different sexuality, like, you know, um, all these things that comes into play, it just complicates um, you know, life so much to a point where people feel very overwhelmed with it. Um, and then that that leads to um, mental health issues. Yeah. I know that in my case, because, um, you know, I, it's, it's my own lived experience myself. So I, as a person of colour and then I'm gay and then, um, you know, um, just coming from a different background, like where English is not my first language, like, you know, going through all this um, discrimination, racism, like, you know, um, um, being exploited, like, you know, all these experiences that I have. And then on top of it, uh, you know, dealing with my own mental health, well-being as well. So that's a part. Sometimes I just find it, you know, it's just too much. And and I must say, though, like in the past, I do have moments when I thought I should just give up. Because it's just, you know, um, like, why do I have to deal with so much things? And they're not just happening one after another. They're all happening all at the same time. So that's where it's really, it's really challenging. Like, you know, um, you can see someone smiling at you when you meet them, but you, you really don't know what's happening behind that smile. You know, um, there's a lot of stories behind it and people, I think people nowadays are very good at wearing masks, to be honest. Like, you know, they just, they just hide their emotions and they hide, you know, their, uh, what, what they're going through. And because of my own lived experience, so I, even though, I, you know, when I meet someone new and they smile you know, and whatnot, I, I will always be very mindful, um, you know, that I don't assume that when someone smiles, it means that they're all good. Hmm. So how do you use some of that knowledge of your own lived experience to um, to improve your social work practice and your therapeutic practice? Like how does that translate into what you do in the room with a client or service user? I think the way it translates is that it makes me become so much more mindful with the way that I work and the things that I say, you know, and how I connect with clients and, you know, um, using the right terms and the right pronouns, you know, and making sure that, you know, I don't um, make any assumptions on people's, even though I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm from that community and that I'm a person of colour, but it doesn't mean that I know or understand another person of colour's background or culture, right, you know, so Whilst I have the awareness that I don't assume, I try not to assume things, um, 
and, and I think that awareness, you know, helped me a lot in my practice as a social worker and also as a psychotherapist that when I work with clients that I, um, yeah, I, I guess the word mindful, being mindful is really very important. Um, and also, like I said before, being culturally competent. Mm. Uh, if I might add another word is other than being competent, but also have to be cultural sensitive, uh, you know, to to the differences that, that people have, like, you know, Pain to you might be 10, but a pain, a pain to me could be just five, even mm. though we might, go in, we might go through similar situations. So everyone is different. Yeah. How do, you, how do people start to incorporate a little bit more mindfulness and sensitivity? Um, like what are some of the, the big kind of things that they need to keep in mind when working um, across different cultures? Or, you know, from your experience, because obviously you can't speak yeah. to everybody. <laughs> um, I think the word that comes into my head is critical reflection. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very important in our practice, whether you are a social worker or psychologist or any workers that work with, you know, uh, critical reflection, I think, is, is one of the biggest things is that we have to constantly reflect on what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're doing it, uh, you know, who we're doing it for, you know, and that kind of thing. So I was, my, I got my um, social work training from uh, University of Tasmania. Uh, and when I did my social work study there, I, I was really fortunate. I think I'm very grateful that I did uh, my study there because uh, it was, it was very, very critical, um, reflective focus. Um because a lot of things we just have to not only know how to do things, but we also know, we also have to know exactly why you're doing it. Yeah, and, and I how, think how and why. Yeah, and that's really important because when you know why you're doing it, then that would help you to like at least it helped me in my situation when I know why I'm doing something. It helps me to give, it gives me motivation, and you know that that um, that I want to go. I want to do something more to understand how like, how can I do it in a more mindful ways. And like, you know how what can I do to to expand this knowledge? So I think knowing that purpose is really important. I really like that, the how and why. And I, I want to talk maybe uh, a little bit later about how we, how do we do critical reflection better? But one thing that was coming to mind as you were talking about cultural sensitivity is, is knowing what kinds of questions to ask. So, you know, I have a client who she sort of identified as, you know, she said something like, oh, as a, as a BIPOC female and the, even being able to either ask what that means if you don't know or having a little bit of knowledge around what that acronym means. But then the fact that she mentioned it made me think there's something about that experience that she wants me to know. And so how do we, you know, to pull out a little bit, like I said, tell me about what the impact that has on you. And mm -hmm. it was a lot of those things you were saying. There's, you know, some microaggressions, there's some um, race, racial undertones, some explicit racism, um, on online dating profiles, there's um, sometimes some fetishization uh, of of her particular ethnicity. Like, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of things that we explored by actually saying, I, I know like you identified this way. And so there's something important about that. Like how do we get better at sort of giving people permission to talk about that? Cause we've made it safe to. Mm. I think very important is at the beginning. <laughs> if you can make sense of that triple barreled question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, I guess it's, one thing that I like to do at the beginning of the session when I first meet them with my clients, uh, when you're building relationship with them and that trust, I just, I always say one thing, like there's one thing that I always ask from you as a client and then my client would normally say, oh, what's that? And then I always say to them, all I'm asking for from you is you being yourself. And then they, they wonder what that looks like. They said, oh, <laughs> you mean? Like, you know, and then that's when I uh, when that, that's when I explain a bit more. I said, like, you know, obviously I'm here to support you. I'm not here to judge you. So it's really important for us to be honest and open to each other in this process. I think by saying those things, right, what I experience in my client session is that often clients straight away, they build that, that, that trust that they know that they can say things, that they're not going to be judged. Um, and that is the first step, is, mm. is to actually make them feel comfortable that they can say and do things yeah. uh, without being judged. And also the second thing is to build trust. Yeah. Because without trust, I don't think anything can happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And I always said to, to my clients as well, thank you for trusting me because you have just literally given me the most precious gift in the world. Because we all know that when someone gives you trust and if you break it, when, once it's broken, it's broken. No matter how you try to mend it, you try to stick it back together or anything like that, right? You will always see that crack. So, and that's why I said, like, you have just literally given me the most precious gift in the world. And I thank you for that. Thank you so much for trusting me. I'm really glad you mentioned trust because I think we sometimes assume trust is just, you know, keeping secrets or like we, but, you know, have you thought about, or maybe, you know, uh, like I think of Brene Brown's work around trust and that is, you know, the boundaries, it's being reliable, it's being accountable, yeah. it's not sharing information, um, it's integrity, it's being non-judgmental and giving people a generous assumption, like building trust, just saying just trust me, That that's not, we, we need to prove all those things to clients and we need to, 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 to display it in our interactions with them. Exactly, exactly. And I think another one very good way of, building that trust is, is the therapist being themselves. Yeah, that authenticity. Yeah, exactly. That word, authenticity. I think that's, and vulnerability. Yeah. I think these are the two words that, that have helped me so much in connecting with my clients so far. Like, you know, it's just, I just, in front of my clients, I'm just being myself, like, to be honest. I'm just an authentic Kobe. Yeah. Um, I don't sugarcoat things. I don't BS, you know, in front of my clients. Um, and then um, I connect with them at the deeper level because I actually open up myself and I, some, 
I mean, this is also you have to be very skillful in using that because you know if you disclose too much of your personal things, then it be, then the, you know you might shift the focus of that session. Like mm-hmm. you know, um, so we have to do it in a very skillful way. Right? Yeah, you know? absolutely. So some level of minimal disclosure of you know your own lived experience actually help to connect with the with the client uh, at a deeper level. Yeah. And that helped to build trust as well, because then they see you not just a therapist, but you are also a human. Yeah. And I really like that, that sharing parts of yourself um, in a very skillful and intentional way. Yeah. Um, I think it really does build trust. It really does help. And, you know, the the few series of podcast episodes that I'm, I'm kind of um, clustering together, a lot of the themes that have been coming up is how do we use what we know, work, like what we've learned either as clients ourselves or by listening to other people's stories to improve our practice. Um, and I think our own lived experience can be one of those tools that we we look at. How do we bring that into our interactions with people and how do we share insights and vulnerabilities like it's it's a it's a kind of new way of working I think where we're not in this or we have to be mindful that we're in a position of power in a way um but we don't kind of yeah it it, it's it's navigating that power over kind of role or title that we're given and in some industries or some sectors um you know, if a client doesn't comply, you know, in air quotes, they can be discharged from the service. So we do have a lot of power, but how do we then sit alongside someone and kind of support them? Exactly. I think you just mentioned a really, um, <laughs> one of the most important things that I think we all are working in this space that we have to be very mindful of is how do we navigate that power, you know, uh, that we have, um, yeah, and because we, with that power, it comes with great responsibilities, right? We all know that. And and also because clients have just literally, literally given their trust on us and that we have this power on us, like, you know, so it's really, sometimes it can be quite tricky, you know, knowing how to, how to um, navigate, you know, around this, particularly working with vulnerability. Yeah. Because... Yeah, I would say no. If you if you're not careful, you can you can either make or break someone. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. definitely. The um, episode prior to you, um, we we're looking at that. You know, the side effect. There are side effects to therapy. Yeah. And there yeah. are times where we can get it really wrong, and that's not just therapy. I mean, um, you know, social workers listening or other allied health professionals. There's there's side effects to a lot of the work we do. If we, we miss a client, we miss a tune, we can do things that are, um, you know, forgetful or harmful or there are side effects to that interaction. Exactly. And you can imagine whilst we are on the topic of intercultural, so on top of everything that we're talking just now, and then when the cultural part comes in and then that carries with all these stigmas and all these prejudices that... Like we all know that, you know, um, in people who come from generally from the Eastern culture, um, talking about death is a taboo topic. Talking about sex is a taboo topic, right? Talking about LGBT, you know, sexuality, that's a taboo topic. Like people don't talk about those things. Um, So it's just uh, that complicates the whole situation and 
to be honest, I have majority of my clients um, are people of color. And when I, when I work with them and I supported them, they all mentioned that they specifically want to look for a counselor or a therapist that is um, from a multicultural background. Um, because they all have been to other counselors as well, right? And I, uh, and I think to, even I myself, I've been to other counselors as well, like, you know, um, but there's just these cultural nuances that if you, yeah, that you don't really, you won't really get, you know, what it really means until you actually live in that culture. I think, you know, I mean, you can have a lot of awareness and a lot of understanding about certain culture and whatnot. Like the, for example, I'll just take an example, right? You know, the Western culture and the, and the, and the Asian culture, for example, right? The, the Western and the Asian culture. Um, there is a difference if, if you just go and spend like a month or two in Asia and then you said, oh yeah, that's the Asian experience. Like, you know, I know Asian culture compared to you actually living there for 10 years. Like, you know, that, that nuances there, yeah. like, you know, uh, I can, I'll give you a concrete example. So I went to a counsellor one time and then I said to um, the counsellors, I was talking about my, like, you know, thinking about my responsibilities to look after my parents back in Borneo. And because I was the, I'm the only child in the family. So ultimately, you know, I would have to be the one that look after my parents. Mm, right? Yeah, we've even had chats about that too. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah, and to be to be told that, you know, uh, my my guilt and belief is made up, you know, I don't think that's very helpful, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so that's one thing that, that uh, um, an example of like these cultural nuances mm. and cultural sensitivity. Which uh, it's, it's, it's such an interesting example because as you were saying, you you overted it and it was dismissed and i think cultural sensitivity is, or even cultural competence is is kind of even being able to voice that as a therapist even saying okay so tell me about your family I'm like oh then i wonder if there is a sense of responsibility to provide for them like if the therapist is able to avert that 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 can build so much trust and and and, and confidence rather than you were you saying it, and then them dismissing it was like the uh, the pendulum swung too far the other way. So actually, yeah. and it reminds me of some work that it's mainly come out of the US because we don't um, maybe there just aren't as many uh, as content that I'm accessing here. But you know, around being uh, anti-racist versus just being um, not racist, and and some of the stuff people were saying is you know, you have to be aware of the impact of that. So this person was talking about the example of um, black women, women of colour um, in, a, in a particular professional context saying they've been culturally conditioned to have their voices minimised. So not only do you need to be culturally aware, you need to then give them a platform to raise their voice. Yeah. So sometimes these cultural competencies is not just saying, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you, is actually saying I'm aware that sometimes for people with your background or your experience, they struggle with this. How do we bring that to our attention? So it's actually sometimes digging in a bit deeper and pulling that out. Exactly, exactly. And there's, it's very reassuring to even just, I mean, even if the therapist is unsure, 
about it, but it's also very good to just ask. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the, by asking, it shows that you're interested. It shows that you are aware and you're mindful and you, you're not making mm. assumption. And that's why you ask. Yeah. So by asking questions, I think that's a very good way to get into someone's mind and someone's um, yeah. life. You know, like uh, talking about cultural sensitivity as well and asking questions, um, I have an example as well. Like, you know, the, 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 the questions like a lot of people, when they see people of colour, they normally, they will ask, oh, where are you from? Or where do you come from? Like, you know, some people would find it offensive to ask, you know, to being asked that questions. Um, some people are more chill about it, okay? So I thought, okay, so what is a better way of asking this question? If you're interested to know, you know, that someone's background, like how can you ask a question that doesn't really offend anyone, <laughs> like, you know? That is quite neutral. And then I came out with a thought that I thought, ah, maybe I can ask about their heritage. Because that word doesn't really offend anyone, right? So every time when I see someone and I'm interested in knowing where, you know, their, their background, the culture, I will always, I'll always ask, um, so what's your cultural heritage? Yeah. And people will happily share their cultural heritage, like, you know, and they don't get offended. Yeah, but saying where do you come from, I think, makes it can imply that you don't belong here. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, whereas a lot of the, um, you know, people, they actually, they were actually born yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to critical reflection, you said that that was a really foundational skill for you. Um, and, and formed part of your um, your course as well. How do we do that? How do we critically reflect, you know, what are, what are tools that people can use? A lot of the guests on the podcast talk about the importance of supervision and how we need to have, you know, peers, we need to have, you know, we need to create, like I think our, our work is, is a, an identity and can be, it's more than just a job, um, but that aside, how do you cultivate critical reflection? Like what are the things that you do for yourself and that maybe others can kind of take some ideas from? Um, I've, the first time when I really learned about critical reflection is when I did my social work at UTAS, to be honest. And there is a unit called uh, practice framework. Like, you know, that whole unit is just to explore about our framework. Like, why do we do things? So... And it, if I were to explain it using a, let's say a bonsai, if I use a bonsai to explain it, right? So the root, you know, from that bonsai, that's, that's where our culture, our values, our belief, our family, our family systems, our upbringing, our childhood, all of that from that roots, starting from that roots. And then it goes all the way to the trunk, like, you know, and then the trunk is, represents the use of self, right? How do we use ourselves? in the work that we do, right, you know? And then it goes to the branches and, you know, and then the leaves and then the fruits, you know, all of that. So I think when you talk about critical reflection is to really think about those things, like, you know, mm. um, what, what is our purpose? And what are our core values? 
Yeah. Uh, what are our core beliefs? Because values and beliefs are different, right? Um, beliefs come from your core values. And core values come from um, the attitude that you have towards life, <laughs> you know? And then, that, it, and then that comes from the purpose that you have in your life. So by knowing those things, I think it's the first step is to actually get to know who we are. I think that's the first step is to know who we are. Yeah. And then the second step being, uh, you know, in critical reflection to me, I think is we can examine how we use ourselves in the things that we do. So the use of self. Mm, which is so important in yeah. um, in our li- line of work. Exactly, exactly. Like knowing our boundaries, knowing yeah. our limits, like, you know, knowing uh, who, like the client groups that you you uh, feel more comfortable working with. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, those are really important things. Like how do you use yourself? So how can, because that can seem really overwhelming for a graduate social worker to think, oh, my goodness, I've just done this degree, probably haven't thought about this at all, <laughs> gotten into work and holy crap, now I'm supposed <laughs> to know myself really well. Like what are some small things? Like how can people start cultivating um, you know, this self-awareness, like what are small things people can do to start figuring this out? And and I just wanted to share with you, this is a lifelong journey. This yes. doesn't just, you don't just do it once and stop, but where, where can you start if maybe this is a blind spot that you haven't really focused on? Um, well, for me, I think solo travelling is a very good way of getting to know yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so because that's actually um, that's actually what kickstarted this whole thing about understanding myself, like you know, because uh, I went solo traveling in Thailand, uh, and that was the time where I that was the first time when I feel like, gosh, like I I, I just learned so much about myself, mm. like how I look at the world, how I perceive people, mm. how I perceive poverty, like how I perceive like how people use their power. You know, you know, and also how I use my power, you know, when I go to those places, like, you know, what, what makes me um, uncomfortable? Yeah. How old were you? Hey, how old were you when you did that? Oh, to be honest, like I did that, honestly, in 2017. So that wasn't really long time ago, like, you know, yeah. and Okay, so what, what I'm hearing people can take from that is to separate themselves a little bit from the stimulation of others and actually spend some time alone to kind of get a sense of what, get, get to know themselves a little bit, but actually yeah. sit with some of that discomfort, maybe that boredom, um, and kind of push themselves out of their comfort zone in their own company. Exactly, because when you are with yourself, mm-hmm. then you're looking inwards. Yeah. But when you're with others, constantly with others, like, you know, then you're constantly looking outwards. So what about in terms of how can people do this with their colleagues, with their peers, with supervision? Like how can they explore some of these things? Because, you you know, you mentioned the use of self and boundaries and limits and the kinds of presentations that you're comfortable to work with. What are some things that people can do to explore those? I think one thing is... Uh, first of all, building trust with your colleagues or your peers. And then secondly, learn to discuss more like deeper, meaningful conversation with your peers and 
colleagues. Like, don't be afraid to talk about something more deep or challenging. <laughs> that makes me think of our first dinner together. It just went way too deep, way too quick. I well, I actually don't think it's too quick. <laughs> but to me, I just feel like I enjoyed that so much. Like the first time when we when we are caught up, and then the conversation that we have, I feel like within that an hour or two hours, <laughs> we kept, we caught up. I actually know quite a, a much more about you. Like obviously, you've got you know a bigger part that I don't know, um, but I enjoy that process of getting know something deeper about you like you know something more meaningful rather than just something that is superficial I think you're you're spot on with that deeper connection because the last few episodes um been folk some of the things that have been talked about around imposter syndrome and it's because we don't often talk about what we got wrong that everyone thinks they're alone in this so Mm. if you build that trust with your colleagues or peers you know, and I've seen some beautiful things where students continue to have like a little peer group or, um, you know, net professional networks. Like actually, once you can build that trust and go deeper, you can share what's gone wrong exactly. and other people can normalize it as well. And then that's where that growth can happen. That's where exactly. it opens you up to say, I missed this client or actually I think I made an, a, a racial assumption or I got this wrong. And you can do once you know better, you can do better, but you need yeah. to actually be brave enough. And that's yeah. really, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that goes to saying, like, you know, the comfort zone is a beautiful place to be, <laughs> but nothing ever grows there. Right? You know, so we, if, we, if we want to grow, we have to be uncomfortable. We have to go mm-hmm. through that. And there's no other ways because otherwise, we, otherwise we don't grow. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Nothing grows in the comfort zone. Yeah, nothing ever grows. So, and that brings me to and back to the word vulnerability. Like, you know, um, I love what Brene Brown said. I just love it completely. Like she said one time, she said, vulnerability is the place where you can find hope, love, support, and deeper connection. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, and, and I thought, wow, that's so beautiful. Like, you know, it's, and then I started practice, practicing that and be vulnerable, like, you know. And then she said another thing. She said the most beautiful thing, uh, you know, uh, about someone is when they're being vulnerable. Yeah, it's great. And I just love it so much. And then um, I decided to be vulnerable. And also when you are able to be vulnerable to people, it shows how much strength you have in you. Mm. Because for someone to be vulnerable, it's quite scary. It's quite daunting to a lot of people. Is say, oh, my God, I have to open up myself. Like, <laughs> like you know, what are people going to do with that? Are they going to attack me? Are they going to, like, look at me in a different ways? Like, you know, they could yeah, judge me, things, right? Yeah. yeah. But if someone is willing to be vulnerable in front of you, and to be honest, a lot of my clients, you know, when we talk about vulnerability, they often look at it as a weakness. Mm. Yeah. But then I always say to them, do you know how much courage and how much trust someone needs to have in order for them to be vulnerable? Yeah. So someone who's being vulnerable to you, what that actually means is it's not that they're weak. 
they're actually very strong in them, inside them. They're very strong. And that's why they're able to be vulnerable. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. If um if people want to get in touch with you, they want to work with you or refer clients to you, how can they, where are you? How can they get in touch? And I'll put some notes in the in the show notes. Yes. So two way. One, you can get in touch with me uh, via LinkedIn. Um, just go to LinkedIn and just search my name, Kobe Liu, L-I-E-W. Uh, and then, or just go to my website. Um, so it's leave your story, uh, L-I-V-E, leave your story.com.au. Uh, so from there, you get, uh, yeah, you can con- connect with me um, via these two options. Yeah, awesome. And just as a parting kind of, you know, bits of advice, or person, what do you do to balance, you know, working in this, in this role? So you know, what do you do for, for self-care and to look after yourself? Uh, that's a very good question. <laughs> I think the word that comes into my mind is boundary. Yeah. Yeah. We really need to, as, a, as therapists, like, you know, particularly working in our field is that in, in, we, we really need to have clear uh, and solid boundaries in our practice is like, for example, my, myself, like I, I um, set up all my computers and screen and whatever in the practice, in a clinic. Uh, and at home, I've got no computers. So, mm-hmm. so every time when I leave my clinic, the clinic, and uh, when, when I leave, I would have no computers for me to work at home. So I must tell you, though, like there has been a few times when I thought, oh, maybe I should take my laptop home. Like I just want <laughs> to do something else, like, you know. Um, but then, no, I, mm. I thought, okay, that's actually a very good boundaries that I'm yeah. setting here. It's like whatever at work is at work. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then I don't, when I go home, then that's a different space for me. And then I just don't work. Yeah. So that's how I think it works for me. Yeah as a practitioner and I think like um, I like to have that distinct um, distinction yeah distinction between uh, work and home and yeah. so that when I go home and that's the space where I can be myself relax and just do what I want you know uh, without actually checking anything yeah I do something similar I, I don't have my work emails on my phone I have to sit down and so you know a bit of separation is really great because you know, I think we do better work for longer if we can maintain some of these boundaries and self-care. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because otherwise it's a recipe for burnout. Yeah, sure is. Thank you so <laughs> much, Kobe. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for this, um, this nice podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy talking about the topic. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for listening to my uh, conversation with Kobe. If you want to find out a bit more about Kobe, you can check out the show notes and please leave me a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps people find uh, find the Inside Social Work podcast. And if you're up for it, join the Facebook group or reach out to me on LinkedIn or follow me uh, at Marie Vakakis on Instagram. It'd be really great to hear from you what you're liking about the podcast. What are some of the things you want to hear so I can best uh, serve you all? All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. 
The Inside Social Work Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast today and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support the podcast, you can leave a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcast and feel free to join the Facebook group. It'd be great to hear from you. Have a lovely day. Bye.